Game Changer Episode 25, Four Game Drives and One Drive to Rule Them All. Welcome to Game Changer, a series on using gamification to engage employees. Join us as industry experts discuss one of the hottest trends in business today. Using game thinking to engage employees in work, wellness, recruiting, and more. This is a special podcast series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, The Engaging Leader. And now, with nearly 20 years of experience helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees at Fortune 500 companies and other organizations, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Game Changers. This is the show for CEOs, HR executives, and other business leaders to learn about internal gamification. Over the course of this series, you'll hear examples and pitfalls, discover how to assess when it's an appropriate strategy, and learn to evaluate gamification partners and game design ideas. In our last episode, we got pretty uh, theoretical. Today, we're going to get very practical, but it's both episodes together are 24 and this one 25 are closely looking at the problem of poor design as a primary culprit of failed gamification and how we can better ensure a successful gamification if we target the right motivators. In other words, if we can target the drives that make people want to engage and then also stimulate the right thoughts and actions that will accomplish our objectives. Because the statistics say that more than likely, if we implement a gamification application today, it's going to fail. Gartner, in late 2012, predicted that 80% of current gamified applications would fail to meet business objectives. But they also predicted that by 2015, 40% of global 1,000 organizations will use gamification as the primary mechanism to transform business operations. So it's powerful. It can work. But most of the time, it's not working, not because the trend is wrong, but because of poor design or ineffective communication or ill-defined business objectives. So we got into some theory about that last time when we talked about killer gamification. And this time, we're going to get very specific and practical about the four game drives that make people want to engage. And then one of those four is the one drive to rule them all. That's the one that's going to stimulate the right thoughts and actions that will accomplish your objectives. I discussed this material, by the way, in chapter two of a brand new book called Gamification, Engaging Your Workforce. It's edited by Fiona Prouding from the ARC Media Group. There are contributor, several contributors to this book, including many people who have been past guests on the Gamification uh, on Game Changer podcast. Andrew Marshevsky, who we just had on episode 23, wrote chapter three. Yukai Chow, who uh, was with us in episode 22, wrote chapter four. And then there's also a case study from Accenture featuring Thomas Sue and Stephen Kakaunen, who was with us as well on Game Changer, back in episode 10. Let's start with an overview of the four game drives. 
We begin with a starting point of the three needs, which we discussed in episode 24. In that episode, we talked about all the science and empirical research that identified why we should care so much about these three needs, achieve, affiliation, and impact. And if we basically can correlate those into achieve, socialize, and impact, where the achievement need is the achieve game drive, the affiliation need is the socialize game drive, and the impact need is, the, of course, the impact game drive. So uh, achieve means to, that you are, you, it satisfies the inherent need that people have, the intrinsic motivation they have to complete tasks, to accomplish goals, to take moderate risks, to master a task or situation, and to receive regular feedback on progress and achievement. Uh, this uh, people who like to achieve will like advancement, beating competition, beating past personal records, and being unique. Achievers prefer individual work, and they respond well to individual incentives. Socialize is the need to belong to a group, to be accepted and liked, and to create and maintain close personal relationships. Socializers like friendships obviously socializing, collaboration rather than competition, and certainty rather than risk. And they avoid conflict, they avoid negative notice, and they avoid being disliked by anyone. In fact, a socializer doesn't really want to be the most popular person around because if you're most popular, that you're pretty much going to be disliked by somebody. There's always somebody that hates the most popular person. So a socializer is not going to want to be Take it, take it to that kind of extreme. Socializers prefer group work and group incentives. And then impact is the need to influence, teach, or encourage others. They like status. They like prestige and reputation because those allow them to better influence others. They like influential relationships, not necessarily having to be a, a huge quantity of, a relation, of relationships, but rather influential ones. And they like accomplishing group goals, and making a difference in people's lives. They need to pursue a big picture, a long-term purpose, or an epic meaning. So each of those first three drives have a one-to-one relationship with the three needs that we talked about in the last episode. Now there is a fourth core game drive, which I'll call Explore. This drive, of course, was identified by Richard Bartle, as well as Amy Jo Kim and their models. And it correlates with, if you've read the book Drive by Daniel Pink, uh, he talks about the autonomy motivator. And that was based on research by Edward D.C. and Richard Ryan, and it was popularized in Daniel Pink's book Drive. This is part of the impact need as well. So we had three needs and one of them being impact. Autonomy is actually a subcomponent of impact. It's a desire for the individual to have self-control. In other words, to impact yourself rather than to be merely impacted by others. Now, Andrew Marshevsky, who is on episode 23, has this this term free spirit, which I love to describe the user motivated by this drive. I think it's more apt, actually, than explorer. 
Um, and it, it, because it truly captures that underlying autonomy motivator. When we say someone is an explorer, you know, that's kind of part of, of autonomy, but there's more to autonomy than explore. So, um, but, but so I, I think the, the drive may be the best I can come up with as far as what to call the drive is explore, but the person who's motivated most by the explore drive, I like calling it free spirit like Andre does. Um, a free spirit is somebody they, who needs autonomy, freedom, and meaningful choices. They like discovering new information or areas. They like creating maps. They like learning about clues or hidden places. They like detail, puzzles, and unlocking and sharing secrets. So that's an overview of the four game drives, Achieve, Socialize, Impact, and Explore. And they line up, obviously, with McClellan's three needs, as we talked about. They also line up pretty well with the the four the three drives that are in Daniel Pink's book as well as one drive that he didn't include in his book but it was in, in the research that he was evaluating and it lines up pretty well with uh, Bartle's player types Amy Jo Kim's social engagement verbs and Yukai Chow's octalysis if you want to go to the show notes for this episode uh, you'll see a table that I have that just kind of shows how the four game drives compares to those models. You, you can find those show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash GC25 as in Game Changer episode 25. Okay, so let's get a little bit practical. What do you do with those the understanding of those four game drives? Well, there's certain game actions that you let people do in the course of a game that are going to appeal to those drives. Most gamification should not target a single drive, of course. And that's really one of the main points of Bartle's original paper about the four game the four player types is that you you want to appeal to there, there different types of people like different types of fun or different motivation and, and you probably don't want just one type of person uh, ex- playing along with your gamification but also he talked about how each of the four types is necessary to make the game appealing to the other player types so uh, achievers for example are going to be bored if you don't have explorers and socializers and uh, explorers will be bored you know they'll be they'll get bored if you don't have some of the other types so the first thing to keep in mind is that you if you kind of make a uh scale with four quadrants, you can plan and evaluate game. You can, you can plan your gamification. You can also evaluate an existing gamification to decide, is this focusing too much on just one or two motivators? I like how Amy Jo Kim says, just think of this as a useful starting point for thinking strategically about what motivates people and then design experiences that will delight and engage them by targeting those motivations. And back in 2012, she did a nice job of suggesting a variety of common game actions that can be designed to appeal to each of what she calls the the social engagement verbs. So what I've done is I've modified her suggestions to show game actions that appeal to the four game drives. Again, if you go to the show notes, you can see this visually, but... For an achiever, that's kind of easy. They want to do things like compete and challenge and level up and compare and win and get a high score and get rewards. The explorer or free spirit, they want to 
review things. They want to view stuff. They want to find, discover Easter eggs. They want to be able to vote and collect and rate things. A socializer wants to be able to collaborate, to discuss, to greet people, to comment, to like, to share, and to give help. And then an impactor likes to be able to facilitate or moderate. They like to receive likes. They like to create and design. They like to uh, see the reputation increase. They like to, to get a certain status. They do like to kill or conquer. They like to heal. They like to curate. And they like to build. For example, back in my college days, there was a, one of the games that was popular was SimCity. And you could create a town and put your sort of political, economic theories to test in, in the course of designing this town and see if your theories and designs worked and created a successful town. And I'm not sure I ever really understood why that game was so addictive to me um, because I wasn't even playing against anyone. I wasn't achieving, really, and I wasn't... Uh, impact necessarily impacting other people, but I was building something. And so it was a chance to impact an environment, even if I wasn't impacting people. Now, if you were to, to draw two lines, two axes, and look at these four quadrants, impact, achieve, socialize, and explore. And if you put, uh, if you start in the top left uh, quadrant and say that's impact, and the top right quadrant, achieve, then you could and you put socialize in the bottom left and explore in the bottom right, you could ask and and evaluate what is the focus for each of these drives. It's helpful to determine, are the players going to be more focused on people or things? And are they going to be more focused on outcomes or process? So if you put outcomes at the top and process at the bottom and people on the left and process, I'm sorry, people on the left and things on the right, you can see that, first of all, let's look at people. We see that impactors want to influence people and socializers want to engage with people. So those two on the left side of the quadrants are going to be more interested in people than they are in things. On the other hand, Things appeal more to achievers and free spirits. Achievers want to get things done and win things. And free spirits want to discover and collect things. So to appeal to all four, it'd be good if your gamification, you thought about incorporating both people and things. If on the, And then uh, again at the top you have outcomes. And we see that that appeals to both impactors and achievers. Impactors want to make a difference, so they, that's an outcome. Achievers want the goal or task completed, so they're going to be more outcome-oriented. Socializers and free spirits are going to be more process-oriented. Socializers like the experience of interacting with others. Free spirits like the experience of searching and learning and explaining discoveries. So keep in mind that a given person can be motivated by more than one quadrant, But there is a quadrant that is pretty much their default setting. Now, is every gamification going to appeal equally to all four? Not very likely. But if you can try to have some balance and have a thoughtful design, you're more likely to be successful. And then in a little bit, we're going to talk about how actually if you are going to err on the side of 
focusing more on one air, one drive than the others, there is one drive that will rule them all. But first, let's look at a case study. And one of the most often cited examples of successful workforce gamification is provided by LiveOps. LiveOps is a provider of call center outsourcing. They implemented gamification in 2009 using the software platform provided by Bunchball, which is a cloud-based gamification provider. And if you want to find out more about Bunchball, I'd encourage you to go check out Game Changer Episode 8 when we interviewed Rashat Paharia, who is the founder and chief product officer of Bunchball. And he's also the author of Loyalty 3.0. So in the world of gamification, 2009 is kind of ancient history. That's, it's a, it's a f- still a fairly recent trend. And so things that happened in 2009, were, it's, it's kind of a goldmine for us to talk about. So what, what worked back then and what didn't and how is it, how's, what, what's been going on since then? Well, a couple of years later, the vice president of product management for Live, Live Ops, I'm probably going to butcher his name, Sanjay Mather, he published the company's case study at managementexchange.com. And you can go out there and check it out for yourself, and we'll, we'll provide a link to it in the show notes. And then scores of workers from LiveOps later came to that article and posted comments, and they offered their own perspective on the experience of working for the company, which was generally, they were all pretty positive. And similarly, if you go out to online, review, online reviews at sites like indeed.com, you'll see LiveOps workers tending to describe a satisfactory work experience. So who is LiveOps? Well, they have 20,000 U.S.-based independent contractors working from home who handle customer service for a lot of companies, including eBay, AAA, and Coca-Cola. And each week, LiveOps agents bid for work and receive assignments based on their skills and their past performance. In other words, they compete with other agents for work. The natural temptation, if you were going to design gamification that facilitated that kind of competition, would be to reward those contractors who achieve the best or most improved performance metrics, such as shorter time to handle a customer inquiry. So to say that another way, if, if you were going to design gamification for LiveOps, it would have been pretty tempting to really focus on competition. But LiveOps was very wary of focusing on competition. And here's what Sanjay said. The competitive nature of agents has led to negative situations where system rules are set in such a way that they can be exploited. For example, if a client's major success metric is limiting the time an agent spends on the phone with a customer, and if they tie that directly to compensation, we would expect some percentage of agents to rush callers off the line instead of producing a high-quality customer interaction. Or if only customer satisfaction is considered for compensation, we would expect some agents to transfer away irate callers to avoid the lower pay stemming from lower net promoter scores. So in other words, if you realize, if you're the the rep and you get this irate caller, you're going to try to find some excuse just to transfer that caller to a different rep or even maybe to your boss or something. And, and because if if that irate caller were to complete a survey about their experience or whatever, that's going to get, you're going to be the one that get dinged on that. So instead of simplistically focusing only on competition and related incentives, LiveOps took a more thoughtful 
approach that triggered all four of the game drives. So first of all, here's the obvious one, achieve. They did actually trigger the achieve drive. They reward completing training certificates and achieving individual performance goals. Remember, achievers tend to like individual performance goals. They appeal to an achiever's need for completing steps for learning, or in other words, mastery, if you're from the Daniel Pink model, um, for advancement, for real-time feedback, and for transparent metrics. When they first started experimenting with some of those metrics and gamification elements, they discovered some issues. And so they made some improvements to make it clear which criteria was more important and to reward incremental improvements because agents were basically getting confused because there would be some metrics that were more important for customer A, let's say it was eBay, but a different customer like Coke cared about a different metric. So let's say one of them really liked uh, being more focused on the results of a customer survey and the other was more focused on the average size of a sale that the customer service rep might make. So they tweaked on helping the workers identify which criteria were more important and then also to reward incremental improvements because you can imagine you get to this point where you see that I will never catch up with, if you're competing with somebody, you might see I will never catch up with that person. They're way ahead of me. So they don't. They didn't want people to, newer employees to try to match up with necessarily top performers who've been working with the company for many years. It just ends up being a, creating unrealistic and discouraging situations. So bottom line is they did appeal to the achieve motive, but they didn't do it in a way that was overly competitive necessarily. They in other instead they were uh, seeking to stimulate those to satisfy those desires to get feedback, to know how I'm doing, to get uh, have, to have transparency and, and and to get some just basically real time feedback. And so for, here's an example a quote by one of the agents uh, who said, "I have to admit I am not at all competitive." But the opportunity to be on this program and view my metrics compared to others is very inviting. So that's how they appealed to the achieve need or the achieve game drive. Let's talk about the socialized game drive. How did LiveOps appeal to that drive? Well, they included mechanisms and gamification incentives for interacting with peers. And they provided channels like knowledge ba- uh, knowledge base provided forums, and they also provided less formal channels like chat and blogs. So you basically get rewarded by helping other people, even though without this you might view yourself more in competition with fellow workers, because if they get work, you might not get work. But instead you get comments like this one. Here's one agent posting to another agent on a forum. I have to tell you that it was your tips and tricks on selling which I took to my phone calls and increased my sales on Saturday. I now use the same technique on all my calls. I'm still not converting as well as I would like on all three products, but I am working on it. I don't get a lot of these calls, but with each sale, I know that it all makes a difference. So the socializing is something they've put into place, and it's helping. Number three, impact. LiveOps allows voluntary independent team formation and group goals. So you don't have to join a team. It's voluntary. But they have positive behaviors like coaching and encouraging 
that agents can do to boost their, quote, status with various reputation features. So they can have a customized avatar that represents their influential position in the community, for example. So they may be bidding against each other for work, but they're not really engaged in a zero-sum game. Because if agents are successful at meeting client expectations as a group, they'll bring more business to themselves. So for example, if you, yes, you're a live ops person, you're bidding against other, custom, other live ops workers for work, but if, you, if everybody who's working on the Coca-Cola account does well, Coca-Cola is going to give them more work. Plus, the reputation of live ops will be improved, and, and you know maybe Pepsi will come and hire them as well. And so th- there's more opportunity to have work if you, if they're doing a better job as a team. So that they basically started um, facilitating cooperation, as I said, use with a knowledge base and forum so that agents can share best practices. They also have tools for peer coaching and networking, and you start to get comments like this one from an agent who posted on a forum. We did it, team. Back on top of the leaderboard. Let's keep this momentum going, work lots of commits, and keep converting. Thanks to all for the great team effort. So you get that kind of a, a group goal. Remember, the impact. The achiever is more interested in individual goals, and impact is more interested in achieving a group goal. Uh, because it's they were able to impact both the net, the end outcome, as well as the other people on the team. And then last is explore, or the free spirit. Live, op, live ops agents work autonomously. They get to choose their work and the work hours, and they aren't forced to use the gamification features. They can voluntarily opt into that. Similarly, they can voluntarily opt into development opportunities, self-form groups, and other programs. So they have total control of their work opportunities. In fact, they don't have a manager and they don't have standard business hours. They just bid for work each week and receive upcoming work based on their skills and their historical performance. And of course, when the work is available, if that matches up with their schedule. So as a result of appealing to all four of those game drives and this approach that they use, LiveOps has reported some pretty nice results. 75% of workers participated in the voluntary gamification program on an ongoing basis. It wasn't just like, hey, three-quarters of people tried it out and then participation fell off. It continued to stay at at 75%. 72% complete certification in the voluntary learning program. They used to have a a four-week-long onboarding process with four weeks of classroom training they were able to reduce that to 14 hours and still have people be effective. They improved service levels by about 10%. Even though they weren't primarily motivating around, let's say, uh, having time reduced time for uh, a customer inquiry, but they, it still decreased anyway by almost 15%. They have lower turnover relative to the industry, and they actually improved sales performance by 8 to 12%. So that's a case study of all four game drives in the wild. Now, as I mentioned, there is one drive to rule them all. And of the four game drives, the one that's most important when it comes to employee gamification is impact. See, employee gamification, by definition, is concerned with influencing 
employees' thoughts and actions. You wouldn't be gamifying something in the employee realm if you weren't trying to engage employees, to influence employees, to impact employees, and to work through them to get some business outcome accomplished. So usually the purpose of the gamification is even to create some sort of change or progress. For example, you may want to increase employee referrals for external recruiting candidates. You may want to increase participation in a training program or improve employee health in order to increase productivity and reduce the cost of health care benefits. Or you may be trying to improve employee collaboration and information sharing. So there's a number of things where you're trying to create some kind of change or progress. You're trying to influence employees. And there's three reasons why the impact drive is so powerful that you want to, if you can arouse that impact drive, you'll be more effective in helping the organization make progress toward your long-term purpose. Number one, championing the long-term purpose. Impactors, when their impact drive is aroused, they care more about accomplishing the group's long-term goals than about their individual short-term needs. They're more flexible and open to change, and they're capable of maintaining focus and energy even if they don't receive frequent positive feedback, which, let's be honest, is often the case in the early stages of any initiative. So if you can appeal to that impact drive, you are you're, you are attracting and engaging the, some of the very people that you need to champion the long-term purpose, especially in the early stages. Number two, making it contagious. Impactors can arouse that those, some of those same benefits of flexibility and focus and support of the long-term purpose they, among the other types. So they have, if, if that's aroused in them, they can arouse it among the socializers and achievers and the free spirits. Why? Well, it's because of the mirror neurons phenomenon that neuroscience researchers have discovered in recent years. Mirror neurons cause people you interact with to literally have the same brain activity based on your thoughts and feelings. So, for example, and to get more specific here, there's research led by David Burnham and his team specifically into impactors, and it's shown that if an impactor is thinking the right impact thoughts. Other employees who interact with the impactor will be more likely to support the purpose too. So it's not just theory that I just made up. They've actually tested it. And if you can arouse that in the impact drive in people, it's going to be contagious and spread to other people. So that's number two. And then the third and final reason is engaging others. By definition, impactors are motivated to engage and influence others. So if you can appeal to them, you're appealing to the very people whose core need is to then go impact others. Often an impactor's behaviors will appeal to the motivators of socializers. So for example, the things that an impactor is likely to do to live out their uh, core drive of impact is to encourage and work toward a group goal. That's the kind of thing that socializers love. They also would like to facilitate or curate things that free spirits love to rate and vote and review. So they appeal to free spirits. And they will like to focus people toward a goal, and achievers like a goal. 
Now, this, of course, is going to come to no surprise to anybody who studied Bartle because he already pointed out that the four player types tend to feed the desires of the other player types. So if you only had one or two uh, types, they would end up getting bored. They need to have the others. And so the impactors are going to naturally help engage others. What's really significant is that impactors do it in a way that arouses support for the long-term purpose. Because impactors tend to take action for a purpose. They're not really playing the game just for the sake of playing or even for the sake of winning. So if they interact with a socializer, for example, it's not necessarily just to have a good time. It's typically to encourage that socializer to make progress toward the purpose. So in short, appealing to the impact drive both motivates impactors to make the long-term purpose a reality and as a byproduct also influences achievers and socializers and free spirits, all of whom who tend to have shorter-term motivators. So the impactor, they're more long-term focused, but they will act, they naturally act in a way that is going to appeal to those short-term motivators of the other three types and help them develop and maintain a focus on the long-term purpose. So I'm not suggesting that you should design gamification that appeals only to the impact drive. But you certainly don't want to neglect impact. You want to be have some balance, but, but uh, gosh darn, make sure you're appealing and reinforcing that impact motivator. And for maximum effectiveness, design ways for impactors to have supportive or facilitative interaction with the other three types, with socializers, achievers, and free spirits. All right, Game Changers, that wraps up this episode. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the weekly leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share more ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Until next time, remember, life is short, so keep it fun. You can find both Game Changer and Engaging Leader podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. To stay up on the latest news and trends in internal gamification, join the Game Changer group on LinkedIn. We'll automatically direct you to our LinkedIn group when you go to engagingleader.com group. Subscribe to our e-digest at engagingleader.com newsletter. When you do, we'll send you a free copy of Jesse's ebook, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders. You can also follow Jesse on Twitter, at Jesse Leahy, and like us at Facebook.com slash Engaging Leader. Game Changer is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that helps mid-sized and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, and Peter McIsaac, who composed our theme music.